Everybody get what they wanted for Christmas? This is yes, this is no. Yes, I see a lot of yeses. Me too. I had a very good Christmas. One of the things that I, I thought about with Christmas is what a wonderful, wonderful gift it was. Because up until then, the Jewish people were the people of God. With the birth of, birth of Christ, we were all transformed under the new covenant. A wonderful, wonderful Christmas gift to us. I think most of you guys know that I'm kind of into photography, something that I started after I retired, something I'd already be, always been interested in. And one of the things that I do is I keep studying it because I find that there are things out there that I think I know a little bit of everything and then I read how someone else does something or whatever and learn that there's still more that I don't know. In doing that, I happened to run across a, um, an article about a, a photographer, and I'm not sure if this is pronounced right or not, but since y'all can't see it, you don't know. It's, pa it's Pedro Oliveira. Sounds right, right? Okay, sounds good. He, um, the article is about his work and that he did a good job, and in it, he made this, this statement. I have won several awards as a photographer, and my work has been published in a handful of magazines. However, I don't think that defines who I am. What defines me is the fact that I am a hopeless believer in kindness, no matter how warped today's world appears. When I read that and thought about that, I thought, I hate it that there's nothing about God in that for him. But it also made me think, okay, how do I define myself? And I asked you, how do, you define, how do you define you? What I'd like for you to do right now is take your bulletin and write on there about I don't know, two or three, I know, I'm kidding. You don't have a bulletin, okay. But that's what I was going to say. Think about it, just think about it. What defines you? If, you? if somebody asked you, what defines you, what would you say? It's an important question. And it's basically one that it sets the pace. It sets everything in your life. How you handle and do everything in your life is how you define yourself. I began to think about my upbringing. I was very, very fortunate. My parents were like charter members of the First Baptist Church of Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. Yes, I was raised Baptist. I like to say I was Baptist by birth. And Methodist by choice. I started out in the nursery there. Remember it well. Sorry. 
<clears throat> I remember Sunday school because guess who was my Sunday school teacher? My father. Later, I went through the various stages of freedom that a child gets as they're going up in the church. I can remember sitting with my family and sometimes misbehaving. And Bill Ingvall, if y'all know him, the comedian Bill Ingvall, I love Bill Ingvall, he would talk about doing that in church and that he and his brother would get to misbehaving and that his father would reach over like he was hugging the whole family and then he would give them a brain duster right up at the skull. You know what I'm talking about, that flip? I'm convinced today that my IQ would be much higher if I hadn't gotten so many of those. And I blame it all on my brother. But later, I graduated from sitting with my family and I was allowed to sit with my best friend, David Jones. David and I got to sit in the balcony. Oh, that was big stuff, you know. But we had to sit on the front row, you know, so we could be checked on. And he and I had this little top. Now, we didn't have electronics or anything back then. had this little top you could spin. And it had single hit, base, out, home run. It, Pastor Selman didn't have anything important to say anyway, so we played ball, you know. But like most kids, we, we got bored with that, and we really didn't understand what Pastor Selman was saying. Most of it was coming from the King James Version, which I had no idea what they were saying. We got bored. There was a fellow that went to our church by the name of George Huser. George came to sleep in church. That's his whole purpose of being there was to sleep. I look back on it, and George had a nose, and he wasn't a very attractive person. And I, I look back on it, probably think he had sleep apnea. But he would come to church, sit on the back row, and sleep. Well, David and I in our boredom, figured out that if we made little bitty spitballs and flipped them off of the side of the balcony, it would hit him, and he'd go like that. And we were doing that, just having a great time to see who could, you know, get a direct hit. Well, somebody, and I don't know who it was to this day, David and I, neither one of us know who it was, but somebody flipped one of those teeny tiny spitballs, and it landed on George just as he was... <gasps> inhaling yes it went down George got choked it stopped the whole service with everybody back there beating on George the pastor quit preaching David and I were diving trying to hide they finally got George resuscitated the sermon went back and David and I are looking around like, I don't think anybody saw us. But as I was sitting there, I kept getting the feeling that there was this burning sensation. 
And I thought maybe it was the Holy Ghost unhappy with me because I didn't really understand the Holy Ghost. I knew, I knew about ghosts. So I started looking around to see the source of this heat. When I looked up in the choir loft, I found it. It was my dad. And there were bolts of fire coming out of his eyes straight at me. <laughs> when I got home, I got an atomic honey buster. <laughs> and I was back sitting with my mother and David sitting with his family the next Sunday. Sitting very lightly. Later, I remember, I don't know, I think I was already maybe around 12 years old. I remember sitting in my living room with Pastor Selman, who was a gazillion years old. And, I, and he was in our church forever. I mean, you couldn't get rid of this guy. I found out later he was only there for three years. But, <laughs> but anyway, I remember sitting there with him and answering the questions that he asked me if I believed in the saving power of Christ and me saying yes. I remember later getting dunked. Later becoming part of the youth group which had a strong influence on my life. How many Baptists or ex-Baptists are there in here? Y'all remember just as I am? Wow. If you've never been a Baptist, this is the thing. The pastor at the end, we always sing just as I am and waiting not to clean. Okay. And it went on and on and on. And if the pastor should say, there's somebody here that I know the Lord is speaking to. You need to come on up. And we're like, oh my God, you know, we're going to be here forever. And we're like on the eighth verse of just as I am. And in the youth, we're saying, somebody needs to go up and rededicate. <laughs> and they're like, I went last week. It's, it's, it's Mike's turn. No, I, you know. But I was there. And the youth group was a very uh, important part of my life of defining who I was. We had a camp every year, which really had a huge impact on me, both in my spiritual life, but that's where I met Vicki. She was in the church before then, but we hadn't really connected up till then. The church had a strong influence on my Christian faith. But I have to also confess, there are other times in my life, less godly times, and no, I'm not going to confess, but there were other times that helped define me that I'm not so proud of. Unfortunately, the things of this world can have a big impact on defining who we are. I grew up in a very small town. I was my father's son. I was not as smart as my sister, as my teachers pointed out many times. I was not as popular as my brother. I was the third child, and my brother was very popular. But there's other things that define who we are. Maybe a beard, 
Well, maybe not. Maybe that's not you, right? All right, Scott. We talked about that before the, the service. Marital status, age, race, what family you're from, your parents. Parents can have a big impact on us, can't they? Especially if they're dysfunctional and they tell you who you are or who you should be. Peer groups, how you dress, how much money you have, the car you drive, the house you live in, criticism from others. We don't do that, do we, here? Your education, your occupation if you're the man, your physical appearance, we can go on and on. There are many things that the world uses to define who we are. And we are told these over the course of our lives many times. Through individual experiences, relationships, culture, we see it in the media, on TV shows, in the movies and songs, and all the world around us. And it seems like the world is constantly seeking to define who they are as individuals. If you just look, there's all kind of books about that, videos about it, seminars you can go to, cults you can join, because people are seeking to define who they are. Unfortunately, most of them do it through the eyes of the world. The problem with that is that's Satan's world. Because Satan seeks to define us. According to the scripture, Satan is the prince of this world. And through his influence, I say influence because the devil can't make you do anything. Neither can God. But they can both influence who we are who we see ourselves as. But Satan heavily controls the things of this world. There's a lot of scriptures about this, and I'm going to go through a few of them. Like 2 Corinthians. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Or Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 John 2.16, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes. The pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. There's more. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come here on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are able to, unable to hear what I say. You belong to your Father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan will lie to us. He will tell us who we are if we listen to him. 
And he also does everything that he can to distract us from listening to God and to separate us from God, to separate us from defining ourselves with God. C.S. Lewis, if you've never read his book, The Screwtape Letters, it is, I just love reading it. It is really neat. It tells, in, in this particular part, it tells of a demon named Screwtape, Screwtape, who instructs his nephew, Wormwood, on ways he can make Christians fall from their faith. And he tells him, one easy way to distance the Christian from God, Wormwood said, is through distraction. You will find anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wondering attention. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods of times. If Satan just makes us forget who we are and, uh, and we just do nothing, then guess what? That's what this is talking about. He wins. Satan actually, from the beginning of time, has tr tried to redefine us. In Genesis, remember, with Adam and Eve, but it says, But the serpent said to the woman, you, you will surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan started with Adam and Eve and was successful in redefining. They were perfect before this. But they were redefined by Satan. There's others. Samuel, 2 Samuel tells us of King David and Bathsheba. We know that David was a very strong, faithful, strong in the faith. He loved God and what happened to him. Through the influence of Satan, he committed lust, he committed adultery, and he committed murder. Satan redefined him. But luckily for David, he turned his back on Satan and went back to God. Or in Matthew 12, 21, the rich man who was defined by money, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then follow me. But what happened? When he heard this, he went away in sorrow because he had great wealth. His wealth defined him. The scripture is clear. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one, and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and serve money or anything else. The scripture even tells us that Satan tried to redefine Jesus. He, remember, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. And then Satan tempted him for 40 days. And I believe, of all my heart, that Jesus was truly tempted. If he didn't, then that would have no meaning. Imagine the temptation that he faced. 
He was hungry. And Satan asked him to change the rocks into bread. He took him to a high place. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And said, bow down to me and these will be yours. But Jesus responded, the scripture says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then he took him to Jerusalem. Standed on, had him stand on the highest part of the temple. Tells him to jump and the angels will catch you. Showing his power. But Jesus' answer has been said, never tempt the Lord your God. It ends with this. After the devil had finished tempting Jesus in every possible way, the devil left him. Until another time. Satan didn't give up on Jesus. And he's not going to give up on us. I read a, um, an article. It was a question that was presented to Billy Graham. And it said, there is so much confusion these days about how a Christian is defined. Some say you just have to believe in God. Others say you must obey God. Some say you only have to be sincere about the things you're doing, which is it. And I love Billy Graham's answer. Those who identify as Christians understand fully what Christ has done for them. They accept his work of redeeming them and submit to him in complete trust. Being a Christian is a serious business. It means to obey the gospel and to accept Christ as a personal Savior. It means to deny worldly pleasures and seek to please God in all things. It means to follow Jesus faithfully and fully. When, Jesus, when Christians falter, and we do, we confess our sin to the Lord and ask him to strengthen us. This is the thing. If we seek to define ourselves from things of this world, then we open the door to Satan because he is willing to come in and help us. If we try to seek things within ourselves to define ourselves, it won't last. But think of this. If you view yourself as God sees you, you can define yourself according to his will. God doesn't look at external things. He doesn't look at worldly things. We know that because the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We are made in God's image. We know that from Genesis 26, where it says, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our own likeness. We are made in the image of God, and it is God who defines us. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. I need to say that again because I think that's very important. You are not your own. You belong to God. He is the one that made you. He is the one that defines you. I think the following scripture that I'm going to read probably defines who we are better than anything I've ever read. It's from Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our identity as believers are in Jesus. We cannot allow anything to separate us from this grace. With Christ, we receive a new definition. Even if we stray from him, he's still there for us. He is the standard. He is the truth. And he claims us. Scripture tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not, lean not on your own, own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. So as Christians, what defines us? It is very, very simple. Christ lives in me.